Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiva Bhani. As we've noted on Raise the Line previously, the failure of patients to take their medications as prescribed costs the U.S. healthcare system more than $500 billion a year, not to mention the adverse health outcomes it causes. Well, our guest today is tackling this problem with a system that combines video technology, clinical coaching, and validated interventions to radically improve medication adherence rates. Sebastian Sager is the Chief Executive Officer of Scene Health, a company he co-founded 10 years ago that is currently supporting patients across multiple chronic and infectious conditions, including diabetes, asthma, cholesterol, opioid use disorder, hepatitis C, tuberculosis, hypertension, solid organ transplants, and sickle cell disease. Prior to Scene, he was CEO and co-founder of a German copy chain that scaled nationally. Sebastian serves as the primary investigator on multiple grants, including with the NIH's National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities. He earned his bachelor's and JD degrees from Columbia Law School and his MBA in healthcare from Johns Hopkins University. And Sebastian and I actually go way back for, from the Dream at Health Baltimore days when I think Cassine was called Emoca, and my good friend Mike Batista was working on the smartphone physical with me on something we call quantified care. So Sebastian, it's great to see you again. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Great to see you again, Shiv. Great to see you again. Glad you're back in Baltimore. Now, it's, it's really fun to follow along stories like yours where like, we kind of grew up together. But for those who don't know you or seen or what it was called Emoca before, tell us a bit more about first yourself, what got you interested in law and then eventually healthcare, and then what the problem, what the founding story of seen was. Sure. I can't really remember what got me interested in law. I liked reading a lot in, in undergrad, I was an English, English major and somehow just didn't like, you know, the, the job opportunities I had in front of me when I graduated college and, and ended up in law. It was a brief stint. I loved, I loved where I was. I was at a big UK law firm and it was, it was really interesting work, but I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I got the chance to do that. You know, starting a, starting a coffee chain in Germany where the law firm was sending me, they were sending me to Munich all the time for one particular customer and there was nowhere to get coffee. So all my law school buddies were doing great internet businesses. That was the best thing I could think of. Grew it to about 20 locations, started franchising it. It was a lot of fun, great coffee. We were making, you know, we were making money. You could, you could see it. It was real cash back then. Right. But I was very bored. And my whole family's in healthcare. Parents were physicians. My sister's an infectious disease doc. She introduced me to my wife, who's also an infectious disease doc. So healthcare is in the family. And I love how motivated people are in healthcare to help a patient improve their life. It's a great thing. Never wanted to be a doctor myself, but I love being on this side of it, like you, Shiv, on the technology side where we can improve various aspects of it, medication adherence, jumped out at me during my MBA at Hopkins as a, a, just a huge issue. And I was naive enough at the time to think I could pretty easily solve it. <laughs> well, I remember back in, again, the early 2010s, it was a digital health like renaissance, which I think then the mid 2010s, it was kind of like the value of this trap of disillusionment, if you look at the hype cycle. So kind of surviving long enough to, for it to be exciting or to get, to get to the zone of fulfillment is, is impressive. So tell us a bit about the problem of medication adherence and how you started solving it with Emoca now seen health. Yeah. So it's a, you, you mentioned that at the intro, it's a really big problem. There's, there's no, 
I mean, the numbers are shocking. If you've had a family member with a complicated regimen, you understand the problem. There is a solution to the problem in the inpatient setting. So in the hospital or in the clinic, every single dose of medication with no exceptions for every condition that there is and every single patient is done under something called directly observed therapy, which is where you sit with a patient this is typically done by a nurse, make sure the patient takes the medication and then you monitor for side effects or other, other issues. And you adjust, if, if it's a multi-day stay, you adjust the regimen over time. At patient setting, that falls apart. And that's where, that was our idea, that we could take this gold standard process and translate it into the outpatient setting. Of course, it's really expensive to do that. So immediately the idea was asynchronous video. So video, video recordings exchanged from the patient taking medication, saying how they're doing, back to the provider. And it's, it's, it seems kind of obvious now at the time it was, like you said, it, you know, in the 2010s, nobody was doing anything healthcare related on, on a mobile phone, right? So it was seen as a little, little crazy back then. Yeah. I think the first time I first heard about DOTS was actually Paul Farmer and Partners in Health. And we had Sheila Davis, who's the CEO of Partners in Health on the podcast a couple months ago, talking about how effective DOTS and others were for TB treatment out in, in Haiti and in developing nations. And so it's very interesting how you've virtualized and made it, made it asynchronous. So tell us a bit about maybe like some of the, the actual outcomes that you're seeing. Because I know one thing that's always impressed me I've seen formerly MOCA was how research-driven you guys are. Like you partner with, you know, governments and health systems and public health agencies and, and get all these grants. I think you just got a NIH award for pediatric heart transplant patients in Florida. So tell us a bit about that and your, you know, kind of the efficacy you're seeing with, with the work you're doing. Yeah. I, I love that you bring up Paul Farmer, that the Bending the Arc documentaries, I always refer people to that to see what DOT looks like in practice. It's a very support. It's not about technology at all. It's about one person helping another person through a very difficult situation. Um, tuberculosis happens to be a, a very, very hard regimen and it's a hard disease. Paul Farmer used it all, used the technique also for HIV. But in terms of research, when we set out, nobody really was, you know, this as well in healthcare, you have to prove that something's actually beneficial to the patient. And so we immediately set out to work with academic medical centers that were running tuberculosis control departments at, you know, nearby public health departments. So for example, Baltimore, where we worked with Dr. Manog Shaw, who still runs the TB control department. And we also got NIH funding to support this because I, I just don't believe investors should, should support your, your clinical trials, at least in the behavioral sciences. So yeah, we have amassed about, I think it's 19 peer reviewed publications today through probably about 10 or 12 trials. The amazing thing that happened about last month was that the CDC finally recognized this body of evidence and stated that using asynchronous video for directly for dots is equivalent to an in-person dot. So the two are not different, which is an incredible thing. It's the first time in healthcare that an asynchronous video appointment is treated the same as an in-person appointment. So I think evidence is really, really important. On the other hand, when you get into the, we, we now sell into Medicaid managed care organization, it's really hard to get that level of evidence. And it's really hard to take some of these trials, which are smaller patient populations. The biggest one we have was about 
300 patients in one arm, um, and then translated that out to thousands of people. That's a, that's more of a business operations type of challenge than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. 19 peer reviewed publications, congrats on all that. I can't help but think about even the last several years with the rise of telehealth forced by COVID and also how most companies have gone virtual. As you may recall, when we first met, I was running Osmosis, just started running it. We were a virtual company from the start. And, you know, that gave us a lot of efficiencies, right? Because we didn't have to be commuting, didn't have to be in, you could work when you're most productive as opposed to when nine to five, you have to be in the office. Now it seems like there's a movement towards async meetings, right? Like, let, let's get rid of these synchronous meetings. Let's use Loom or, or Slack for text messages or Loom for video messages. I can't help but see parallels between maybe live telehealth appointments where you're like live virtual video dot versus async dot, which is more convenient and hopefully not just more convenient, but hopefully that reduces the cost, right? To, to provide this because you don't have to have real time, you know, provider time, right? Yeah, yeah. Dots was being done live in like as early as the year 2000. But how are you going to get somebody who works out in a field to do something between nine and five and get them on video too, like live? It's so, it's just very inconvenient. So I think that the, the magic of asynchronous video is that you can workflow it. So you can, you can almost tell the person what they're supposed to do in this video so that you have the context of it. You don't have to just go piece it all together as like, you know, unconnected videos. You can really script it out. So I, I, and I think it's pretty magical. A patient just hits record and they just start talking, right? They will, they tell you everything. It's super interesting and it, it becomes self-journaling. So our team that responds has to not only, you know, understand a little bit about medication, of course, but they've got to be able to have a conversation. And they got to be willing to be extroverted enough to hit record as well and send a message back. I think it's a pretty fascinating medium. I haven't used asynchronous meetings for business yet though, but good idea. Yeah, I, I recommend it. Like I like Loom a lot for that reason because okay, okay. 30 minute sync meeting can become like a six minute async video. I found it just make things more Never tried it. So. Can't believe it. Okay. <laughs> Being a video, you know, your tech platform is, you know, video first, right? Video communications, it seems. One one thing I'm actually kind of curious about, just given how much video has improved over the past few years, quality, speed, you know, but also filters and features, right? Like Snapchat-like videos, I think is how it's been described by the people I was talking to on your team. Do you guys do any like video processing, like filters or automatic translations, captioning? you know, the rise of generative AI makes all this stuff possible background. Is there any application that, that you think would improve what you're trying to do? Absolutely. So the, the, originally it was a video from the patient only, just that you're aware and our, and the provider didn't video back and in public health departments, they weren't even comfortable videoing back. So, so I think by 2018, we started sending videos back to the patients. That was a big deal. Really interesting is that when we first plugged in you don't have to build all these things yourself, right? There are, there are libraries that you can, and APIs that you can attach to, to, to get a lot of these features in. When we first brought emojis in, they were immediately used. Like the usage was off the charts on day one, as soon as it was available. So there are these common forms that you can plug in like filters and we're starting to use captioning for telepro kind of teleprompting what somebody, you know, should be doing next. 
but there's also transcription that allows our team to be able to respond short, you know, before they've seen the video to certain things. And so there's so many things you can do. The, the big question becomes like, why? And it's either like get, get efficiency or really entertain, right? Like make it as entertaining if you can, because this is still healthcare, right? Healthcare is not as entertaining as, you know, as social media for Sam, but if you can get to get it closer to that level, then, then this is adherence. So what that means is they're going to do it again tomorrow, which is exactly what you want. So yeah, we're learning and we're trying to catch up to the standards that are set by, by the social media companies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the, but the good thing is a lot of the providers that I'm sure you're hiring grew up or will have grown up or been very used to Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. So you're kind of bringing, you know, this patient care delivery into like the, into the formats that maybe they're used to. So you guys just raised the series B. That's huge news. Congratulations. Very validating. Tell us a bit, tell us a bit about what you're going to do with that funding and what your next milestones are, whatever you're able to share. Yeah, this is the first big round that we, that we did. It was led by ABS Capital. Grand total is about $17 million. For us, we leaned into Medicaid managed care about a year and a half ago as like the big market for the company. And that was really validated over the last year. We have, we're going to use the funding to launch customers. So we have some customers that we just have to, to grow with, and that takes investment. There are, for every condition, you know, we can start with adherence, just, you know, videos back and forth, but you really have to have, as you know, being an education platform with Osmosis, you have to have real tailored content. And so developing programs for every condition and going a little bit beyond it, just the medication adherence is, is important because sometimes we're not only responsible for making sure people take their medication, there are metrics that the health plan is accountable for, you know, Medicaid, it's the HEDIS metrics. And we have, to, we have to get better on the data side. We'll also make some key hires. So grow the team, grow the business, make sure everybody in the Medicaid MCO world knows that seeing health is an option and that medication adherence doesn't just mean putting meds in people's mailboxes, which is what, what it currently means in the health plan space. So interesting. I mean, yeah, just the, the, where the policy is, you know, as you just described Maybe. there. Versus where the technology is. And also back, you know, I'm sure you remember back in the day, there was Proteus Digital. Yeah, like a yeah. super high tech. It's like, let's put like chips on the actual pills so that, so that we know that you've ingested it. And obviously, I think they raised too much money and it just wasn't as viable as something more simple, but also more complex. It's like finding that happy medium where I think scene, scene is. Yeah, people don't like swallowing electronics and people like people, right? <laughs> Proteus was kind of doomed, I thought, but I mean, it, I guess it made sense somehow, but yeah, I think, I think the personal connections what drives somebody to improve their health and it, you see that in other wellness areas as well. So yeah, I think it is a very interesting area that, that is at the intersection of healthcare and psychology and habit formation, you know, the behavioral economic aspects here are pretty, pretty interesting. This may be a bit of a tangent, but what do you think of like, you know, two things how do you train your providers to be the best you know you know over this format right you mentioned it should be more friendly and outgoing you know tell what's called website manner but then also do you see a future where maybe like ai avatars can be the ones you know directly observing these therapies like do we even need the, the doctors because that's always like we've seen avatars in like psychiatry 
can be more like the summer results show that can be more effective because or like sexual health screening it's a little less like judgment from another human right imagine if you're like a 17 year old girl in utah where i was living and you're going into your ob guy who is like a 70 year old man asking you if you're sexually active i mean come on you're more likely going to tell an ai avatar that looks like a cat about your sexual health than i think a 70 year old guy who could judge you yeah yeah what do you think that it's those are those are really interesting questions. I think in training training the team, you I mean we have a culture of compassion, and it I mean we are we are really following this Paul Farmer pathway, right? All public health departments seem to have that type of mentality too. So it, it is it's it's in the ethos of the company. That doesn't mean though that like your healthcare workers become actors and actresses, right? So they they have to be themselves. It's not. These aren't like full-on production type quality videos. These are just like, it's a person shooting a video. And I think the bigger, the biggest thing is to get somebody to feel comfortable with that. And that's, that's actually pretty hard. So you have to interview for that, for somebody who's willing to, to put themselves out there like that. And it's, and it's okay when somebody's not a total extrovert and they're, they're, they're themselves, right? Because that's what the patient wants. Now, a few weeks ago, I would have said it's impossible to do the avatar but there's been a lot of news the last few weeks. So I'll claim to not really know the answer to that question. My first, my first answer though now would be not possible to take out that human touch. And I think that patients really respond to it, but yeah, you're, you're right. I've never imagined what it's like to be a 17 year old girl in Utah who wants to see their OBGYN and ask some sensitive questions. However, yeah, there are absolutely a bunch of scenarios where, you know, their their virtual counselors have worked. So I don't know. What do you think? It's a it's a brand new world as far as like everything that's come out the last last couple months. I think it all comes down to preference, actually. And I think there's so much evidence that, you know, people are more likely to respond to providers. And again, this is averages, right? Like if we talk about individuals, some individuals, maybe some 17-year-old girls will prefer the 70-year-old like expert, like they'll follow what they say. Whereas others may be like, maybe not. Like, I want someone who looks more like me or is, you know, based on race, based on gender, based on all these different topics. And so being able to have a dynamic, you know, part of what, what's making this interesting is that the meat, the entertainment industry is doing all, driving all this innovation, really, because that's where a lot of the money is. And, you know, if you can watch a movie where the protagonist or the, the love interest of the protagonist looks like the type of person you're interested in, everyone will have a personalized movie that they can watch. And that, that likely will happen in the next couple of years. So if that can happen with movies, I'm sure there's some API, right? Or some tool yeah. that other companies can adopt going into healthcare. Well, look, one thing I'll tell you, having been for, for family members the last few years in healthcare or systems to get care, providers have no time care, right? They're like rounding digitally now. And so I, I currently see what we're doing in a lot of ways is making up for a lot of lack of like time that the provider has with that patient. And, you know, if there are other ways to get them that the attention, the time, the feeling of care, it, it might really beat that in-hospital experience because I've been severely disappointed with just like how, what the state is of care in a hospital right now. It's just, I don't know if you've been in the hospital lately, but Bear it in mind when you're in med school, I'm not, I think the pandemic's had a, a disastrous effect on quality of like the, the human care element. 
And the fact is, we shouldn't be expecting necessarily providers to be delivering that type of, you know, special touch if they're swamped. So there have to be outlets like Seen Health and and other virtual care companies that that do have the time. And hey, maybe maybe it does. In the end, it maybe it is some combo, like you're saying, of artificial and and person, right? Yeah, whatever it is, it's very interesting. And companies like yours, I think, will be helping lead the way. So appreciate that. We're coming up in time, so I had just two other questions for you. The first we like to ask all of our guests is, what advice would you give to our audience about approaching their careers if they want to be innovators in digital health or in, in really doing anything in, in healthcare? I think some background is very, very helpful. Like they, uh, there's, a, there's a huge advantage to being the naive person who doesn't really know what's happening because then you take the risk more, more readily than somebody who really understands. But the fact that you, you know, if you have some education in healthcare or some experience to lean on that allowed you to see a problem and then go fix it, like you've done actually, right? I love you're going back to med school. I think, you know, that like, like I told you on, on, on our direct messaging, the physician entrepreneur, wow, that's an incredible skill set that you, and most physicians learn the entrepreneurial skill set later and you're, you're coming with it and going to med school. So that's going to make you an incredible entrepreneur later. I think healthcare is just, it's, it's 20% of our gross domestic product, huge area, massive need. If you're going to be an entrepreneur and you really care about people, then do it in healthcare. I think it's so fulfilling and yeah, find a, find a big problem and, and just go solve it. And and if you can't, then, you know, shift a little bit and go solve something else that's kind of like that. Totally. Yeah. $500 billion a year problem is, is quite a big yeah. problem. So big problem, <laughs> big problems. Well, thanks for that, Sebastian. And, and my last question, anything else that you want to tell our audience about you or Scene Health? Yeah, I, I'd actually like to just give a shout out to my team. We just raised capital in an environment that, that is very challenging. For, for capital raising. And the only way we were able to do that is with a stellar team that's really, really on the right track and doing everything possible to make sure that the, the patients and customers we serve are, are successful. So thanks for having me, Shiv. And thank you to the Scene Health team for, for getting us this far. I'm really excited for, for the next couple of years. For sure. Me too, Sebastian. It's been great seeing your guys' growth. And I would like to thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast and more importantly, the work that you and your team have been doing to, as we say, raise the line and strengthen our healthcare system. Awesome, Shiv. Thanks for having me. And with that, thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system since we're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.